fragrances, candles, room sprays, perfumes and colognes by Tessa Williams. As I was just saying, uh, Sweden's brought us many things. ABBA, IKEA, <laughs> and right. now yourself, Dr. Anders Hansen. You're quite a celebrity in the neuroscience world and uh, author of several books. Um, your most recent book, The Attention Fix, How to Focus in a World That Wants to Distract You. It's a brilliant book. And so... Is this about the seventh book you've written, or how many books have you had now? Well, I've written five books for adults, um, and then three of them has been done in versions for children and teenagers. So if you include those, it's eight books, but but okay. uh, in reality, five adult books. Okay, well, congratulations. It's a lot of work and a lot of focus too to write a book i know myself having only written two books but it it does require all your bandwidth all your focus but having written this book the most recent the attention fix what would you say uh, anders are the absolute key factors that you must do to focus nowadays well i would say that the number one thing to do is to understand how your brain works and uh, how to understand that your brain never evolved to be focused. It never evolved to be happy or even smart. It evolved to, to, to keep you alive and to be to constantly scan your surroundings. This is something there, 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 and be cautious of everything that happens around you that helped humans to survive. The most important thing I never learned in med school that is that half of all humans died before they became teenagers. That has shaped our psychology more than anything. And I was also never taught that we humans have not changed during the last 10,000 years. Mm. We are, the brain still thinks and still reacts as if we were on the savannah. And mm. that means that it's constantly scanning our surroundings. So attention, the thing, focus, which we value so much in today's society is something that is very fragile. It's very, very, we're easily distracted. And we have to be aware of that in this world, in this time where we are experiencing distractions in a way that humans have never done before. Yeah. Uh, and I'm thinking, of course, of our, of our, our screens. So my main advice to everyone is learn about this. For instance, people think that they're multitasking. And what is multitasking? Well, that's doing several things at the same time. But when you think you are doing several things at the same time, when you think that you're multitasking, you are not. You're ba jumping back and forth from one thing to the other, back and forth. And in that way, the brain doesn't function optimally. Okay. It keeps some of the bandwidth on what you just did. So for instance, if you're writing an article or a book and then you go and then you start texting and then you go back to writing, then the brain keeps focus on the what you just did. It keeps some mental bandwidth on the SMS when you go back to writing again. 
Mm-hmm. And this many experiments have shown that if you let yourself be distracted and try to jump back and forth, the brain doesn't function very well. So you have to be cautious about that and keep all the distractions away, especially if you want to do something productive. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's that's certainly one of the, the, the that's something that has been a wake up call for me um, to learn about this. Uh, and now there's many, many studies that shows how we are d- affected by these distractions. Uh, for instance, if you read a book in a physical book, uh, you learn more than if you read it on a screen. You read, that's you learn so more things. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's it's especially true if it's a difficult book. Then you learn more. Uh, if a child or a teenager is reading his or her book on a physical book compared to a screen, it corresponds to two years of schooling. So wow. if you're in your seventh grade and read a physical book, and then you go back to reading a digital book, you go back to your fifth grade. Wow. That's pretty yeah. remarkable. Yeah. So, and that's something that I think educators should be aware of. They Um, should, and they should ban giving out iPads to children so young. Um, Do you do you reckon, Doctor Anders, that also that also makes sense if you're writing something by hand rather than typing on a computer? Do you think you you remember it more if you write it by hand? Yeah, uh, you do. Uh, it, many studies have shown exactly that. You learn more if you re- take notes by hand. No one knows why that is the case. One possible explanation is that when you write by hand, you can't write so fast. So you have to process it one more time and then you learn it. Another possible explanation is that when you write something on paper or read it in a physical book, you get small physical references. You remember, "Ah, I was on the top of the page, it was on the bottom of the page, and so on. Hmm. And that, those physical references, yeah, yeah, and that becomes sort of something that you could hang the knowledge onto. Um, So those two explanations, physical references, uh, and the fact that you are often writing more slowly are two possible explanations why you learn more uh, when you take notes by hand. But but really, that is speculation. We do not know exactly why, but we do uh, do know that you will learn more if you write by hand. Yeah, that's Um, really interesting. So... so, yeah. Um, I was just going to say, I read in one of your books that you get often your ideas like while you're in the shower or when you're doing something else. Mm. I just wondered, how did you get the idea for the Attention Fix book? How did it come about? Well, I've always been very interested in human nature uh, and human behavior um, mm. as a psychiatrist. And I realized about... 10 years ago that we were conducting a huge experiment with ourselves, with digitalization. When we started to using screens, not just one or two hours a day, but four or five or six hours a day, I realized this is a big experiment. This is the biggest change in human behavior in in the history, history of our species. We have never changed so fast. So that was one of the one thing that started me 
that made me want to look into this. Um, another reason is the fact that I've always been a reader. I've loved reading books. And I started to realize that as soon as I got to a difficult part in a book, I put it down. And I grabbed my phone and I started fiddling with my phone. Hmm. And then I thought, what has happened to me? I mean, I used to lo love reading. This is what's yeah. one of the great pleasures of my life. And all it's, now it's gone. What has happened? And it's then I realized yeah. maybe it's the phone that is dragging me towards it. So I kept the phone in another room. And then it, uh, then it wasn't a problem anymore. And that was another one time of the was one, another one of those moments where you start to realize hmm, maybe something is happening here, and maybe it's not just I who have these who have uh, these experiences. Mm -hmm. And do you think it is generally caused by the the mass um, the mass just everywhere the uh, exploitation of the phones the social media or do you think anything else has caused the problem with focusing well i'm sure there can be several explanations but i certainly think that technology is the biggest explanation yeah uh, because the most valuable thing in today's society is not money it's not pounds or krona or dollars or bitcoins it's human attention mm -hmm. that's the most valuable thing there is and there's a big uh, industry which is fighting for our attention. And, of course, that's the social media companies. And they yeah. are getting better and better and better at grabbing our attention. The result is exactly what we're seeing right now. Our attention is being eroded. There is yeah. nothing as stimulating as social media and as the screen in real life. And I think you could make the comparison to candy. If you go to the candy section in a store you are faced with something that has no equivalent in nature. There is nothing in nature that contains so much calories as candy does. Mm -hmm. And that means that when you eat candy, your brain is realizing that, holy cow, I have run upon the biggest fruit tree on the savannah. Yeah. Everything. Mm. Yeah. And that's that's very logical because we have never been exposed to these kinds of, of temptations from that, that we can't have candy all around. It's just not possible. If we do, we will eat it. So we realize that we can't have it around because it's too tempting. And I think you should see digital technologies in the same way. There is nothing that grabs our attention so much. There is nothing that is so um, rewarding for us as our screens and they are just getting better and better and better at that because as i said someone is making money from our time and yeah. if you've seen the latest trends on tiktok you have seen how extreme it has started to become where you show yeah. sometimes two uh the same screen contains two two things one which is just eye candy and one which is someone who's telling stuff extremely fast and you know your brain can't resist that you just want more and more and more and more of it um, yeah. And that's exactly what we're seeing today. Yeah. And well, we have been living through really strange times when in the past few years with the COVID epidemic and huge um, promotion by pharmaceutical companies and everything too. I mean, 
Could that also have affected our focus and our attention as well, having had to deal with this, um, you know, the the fear of this epidemic that came upon us? Yeah, I mean, it's, I, maybe it contributed somewhat, but I don't think it does so anymore because very few people are afraid of COVID anymore. And if it was yeah. caused by that, then it should sort of, then it should uh, the we should get our focus back. So I, I I don't think that is the main reason at all. I think it is technology. Uh, it was happening before. Yeah, yeah. Another of your books, Doctor Anderson, is very interesting. Is the advantages of ADHD? Yeah. What is yeah, yeah, and I I well um the reason I wanted to write that book was the. Uh, the fact that so many people were seeking help for ADHD and they looked at it as a disease. And I, as a psychiatrist, I can, I, I don't want to downplay the problems that ADHD can cause, but I know that there's a lot of, of, of science that shows how, how ADHD can come with advantages. And one of them is that you are more creative if you have ADHD. Okay. Many creativity, yes, many creativity tests have shown that people with ADHD or strong ADHD traits um, yeah. are more creative, especially when it comes to brainstorming. So it, it does come with some benefits. And you, I think you, one must learn more about those benefits and not just automatically think that everything should be diagnosed and treated with medication. We also know that people with ADHD be benefit tremendously from exercise. Everyone's attention is increased by exercise, but the ones who have ADHD, their attention is benefits the most from it. Mm. So that book was about how we, I think we should see ADHD from a, an evolutionary perspective. That sounds very interesting. And as a psychiatrist, Anders, what would you say are the most obvious symptoms of ADHD? Well, the ADHD uh, consists of problems with your ability to focus, to concentrate. That's the main one. And then you have hyperactivity and impulsivity. Those three things are ADHD. There's yeah. no blood test for ADHD. There's no x-ray that you could do. It's a diagnosis that comes from problems with these uh, three areas. Um, okay. So you should have, and you should have those problems from childhood. It's You don't get ADHD when you're an adult, you have it when you're a child. Oh, the problem with this is that, you know, everyone has more or less, have less, better or worse uh, focus. That's, that's not black or white. It's not like you have great or bad focus. Most of us are in between. Most of us are more or less hyperactive. More of, of a, most of us are more or less impulsive. Um, and that means that ADHD is not so black and white as you might think. It's actually yeah. a scale that you are on. And mm -hmm. the diagnosis should be reserved for the ones who have the biggest traits, most of these traits, and even more importantly, the, the most problems with these traits. And that those problems should not just be at school or at home. They should be at both places. Yeah. Um, and in Sweden, as you may, maybe you know, I'm not sure how it's in the UK, but in Sweden, the number of children with ADHD diagnosis has exploded. Uh, and almost 10% of all teenagers are now being diagnosed with ADHD. Wow. Yeah, that, that is a lot. Yeah. 
And um, are, what are your kind of recommendations for people to do? You said that often drugs are not the best answer. What would you say is best, best like natural treatments you can go for? Well, I, I, I think drugs uh, are actually very important for people with severe ADHD. They could be life-saving. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't want to downplay the value of them at all. Mm -hmm. But I think that if you have a little of these traits, uh, maybe not severe ADHD, but sort of an ADHD light, then you should try to exercise regularly because that's has yeah. been shown to be a medication for ADHD. And I think you should also try to look at the positive sides that you get from it and not just the bad ones. Um, but how I, I, I want to stress that if you, if you suffer from this, you should seek help. Um, mm. so, so it is uh, so because ADHD can cert can be a huge problem. There's no doubt about that. Uh, the problem is, however, that if you have 10% of all teenagers being diagnosed, which we have in Sweden now, then the ones with the most severe problems, they end up in the end of the line. You know, okay, so yeah. you also have these problems, but we'll get in line with 10% of the population. Mm. Um, that's certainly my um, yeah. my experience as a psychiatrist, that the ones who really suffer, they don't get the help that they need because too many are being diagnosed. Yeah. How about like sleep disorders and people that, that this is like a huge problem prevalent in a lot of adults and, uh, you know, uh, young adults as well, not being able to sleep. And apart mm -hmm. from sleeping tablets, what would you say are some recommendations to deal with this, Dr. Anders? Yes, sleep is in itself an incredibly interesting topic. I mean, why should we spend a third of our lives in a state when we are unconscious? That's crazy if you think about it. Yeah. Um, and it turns out that the brain is not resting when we are sleeping. The brain is doing very important things that it can't do during the day. One of these things that it's doing is that it's picking memories uh, to keep. It can't record everything. It, you can't remember everything you experience. The brain has to pick the most important things. And th that selection seems to be done when we sleep. We also know that the brain makes unusual connections. It tries to figure out how things fit together. Most of the things it comes up with is rubbish, but sometimes it's something very creative. So mm -hmm. uh, sleep is important for creativity. And we also know that sleep stabilizes mood. So sleep is incredibly important, but sleep is fragile because, as I said, for our ancestors, it must have been very dangerous to cut themselves off from mm. the surroundings. So if we feel stressed, then the brain is not going to sleep. If we feel aroused in any way, the brain is not going to sleep. So mm. get rid of the scenes. Get rid of the screens even from the bedroom because there's been studies that shows that if you have your phone in your bedroom, um, yeah. You sleep shorter, especially teenagers. Everyone doesn't do that, but some people sleep shorter. Um, and I think, so I think you should be aware of how fragile your sleep is and protect it more. Because when you realize what's it's doing to your brain, you, you want to, you will want to, to protect it, uh, so to speak. And in Sweden, uh, the number of teenagers that, that are seeking help for sleeping disorders has increased by 1000%. Factor of 10 yeah. since the year 2000. Mm -hmm. uh, and 
There, no one really knows why that is the case, but I think it's fair to say that screens are one of the reasons behind it. Um, because one recent poll showed that a third of all teenagers sleep with their with their mobile phone in their bed, not not in the bedroom, but in their bed. Yeah. And to have yeah. all your friends, all of the world's entertainment, and a whole casino in your bed, well, that's not going to make you sleep. So yeah. my my first advice to these patients, and there's many of them, is mm -hmm. that buy an old school alarm clock. Get rid yeah. of the phone. Um, and a and, Yeah. Yeah. And learn about sleep. Learn how incredibly cool it is and how fragile it is at the, at the same time. And when you learn that, you will not, you're not going to let any tech companies jeopardize uh, your precious sleep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, that's very true. And um, Anders, when you're writing, do you tend to like block out time? Like when you're working on your books, how long, how long did it take you? Like, few months or a year or yeah it takes a year i am one of those that uh, tend to work at best if i work with with um if i work for four or five hours a day so i could have patience for four or five hours and then i go to writing four or five hours that that works better for me i need to yeah. things up but everyone isn't like that some like to you know to be extremely focused for four or five months, but I'm more I'd like to do it half, fifty percent yeah. of my time for one year. Yeah, and a lot of research goes into your books as well. So I can imagine there's a lot of time digesting all the different studies and reports. And yeah. How were you first inspired to um, work with the brain, Anders? What brought you to it? Well. I I had an experience when I was at the Karolinska Institute um, where I went to med school, which this is 23 years ago, and um, I held the human brain in my hand. And, um, oh, yeah, I read this. It was beautiful. <laughs> yeah, and I, I've told this story several times, and I, and I still remember it like yesterday. I, I held this 84-year-old man in my hands, and I realized that I am in a way closer to his inner self than he ever was himself i'm ex all of his motions all of his memories everything is in my hands and of course i realized at the same time that i have one of these and in my brain all of the things that i have experienced has occurred um and what i in that moment i decided to become a psychiatrist um okay were you otherwise I, a doctor a general doctor or yeah I, I think i thought about being a cardiologist for a while i was interested in the heart as well but that, it yeah. was at that moment i was like no this it's it's the brain is the biggest mystery of them all um but what i really take away now from that day in the autopsy room is not that it's so strange that our inner feelings that are that are live is being played out in this very unattractive organ. That's not what I what what my takeaway message is. My takeaway message is that the brain is an organ, and just like the heart and the liver and the kidneys and the lungs yeah. that was also in the autopsy room, the brain has not evolved the way it did by chance. The brain doesn't show us the world as the world is. It shows us the world as we had to see the world in order to survive. The brain doesn't show ourselves as we are. We see ourselves the way we had to see ourselves to survive. Yeah. So 
I think that we, when you sort of understand yourself from the perspective of the brain and not just see what's happening in the brain, but why it's happening in the brain, why we are built a certain way as a species, then you will make changes. Um, and yeah. you, you know as well as I do that, you know, you should prioritize sleep, you should exercise, you should be cautious of how much screens you use, etc., etc. Everyone knows these things. But when you understand it from the perspective of the brain and when, and when you see what those things are doing to the organ in which your, your reality is created, mm. then you will make changes. That's very interesting. Another point I noticed from reading your book, Anders, is how you say that feelings are there really to protect your brain. And well, you know, well, I was, yeah, sorry, go feelings on. Are, yeah, so, 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 so feelings are not there to give ourselves a rich inner life. Feelings are there to push our behavior in a way that helped our ancestors to survive. Right, yeah. Um, so in every moment of our life, the brain creates a feeling based on what's happening around us and what's happening inside us. And it's trying to push ourselves to behavior that helps us to survive. And one of the things that you have to remember then is that half of all humans died before they became teenagers, as I said. And humans have not died from cardiovascular disease or cancer or stroke, which is what kills us today. Mm. But humans have died from infections, bleeding, murder, dehydration. Yeah. And since we are the descendants of the ones who did not die from these things, we have in us defense mechanisms against infections, bleeding, murder, dehydration. And one of these defense mechanisms is that we should see the world as dangerous. We should prepare for the worst. And what's, what's preparing for the worst called for in, for in our parlor? Well, that's anxiety. So yeah, from the perspective yeah. of the brain, you realize that you should be anxious. Mm. The goal of the brain is not to make you happy. It's not to make, give you a good life, the goal of the brain is to take you to tomorrow alive. The brain is a survival machine. Um, and it will create negative feelings because those feelings help you to survive. Now, this may sound very, very gloomy. So it means like, like we're doomed to, to feel bad. And of course, uh, it's not that bad. There are things we could do about it. But I've seen as a, as a psychiatrist that patients who have a lot of anxiety they tend to look at themselves as broken, as damaged, as if there's something wrong with them. Mm -hmm. And when you tell them that this is not strange that you have anxiety, anxiety have, has helped humans to survive. You don't have a weak brain. You have a powerful brain that's trying to protect you. When you frame it like that to someone with anxi anxiety, some of them say that I really get it now. I am not damaged goods. Um, so it's very important to look at these states, anxiety and depressions, from the perspective of the brain and realize that those are defense mechanisms. Yeah. If, you if you suffer, you should definitely seek help. Because to, you, you can never say to someone with a depression that you should pull yourself up. That's like saying to someone with diabetes that you should pull your blood sugar up. It doesn't yeah. work like that. Yeah. If these states were not... If these states were so weak that you could sort of walk around them by giving cliches, 
well, they wouldn't be there in the first place because then they would never be powerful enough to affect human behavior. Mm, um, so so yeah. I, I see emotions and, as, as whispers from our ancestors, whispers from the ancestors uh, who survived against all odds. Mm. So they aren't there to protect your heart feelings. They're more to kind of as a survival mechanism, do you reckon? Yeah. Yeah, and that survival mechanism can go off uh, for reasons that it never that humans have never experienced. So the question you should ask is not what is the advantage of being anxious in today's world. What's the uh, what's the advantage of being envious in today's world or distracted in today's world? The question you should ask is were there situations. In, hum in human history where it was beneficial to be able to react with what we call anxiety. There probably were many of those. Was it beneficial to be able to react to react with, with what we call envy or distraction or, or, or things like that? And of course, then you realize that, yes, there were probably many of those occasions in our history. So we should not Blame ourselves. That's the point. We shouldn't give ourselves such a hard time. We never evolved to be happy. We evolved to survive. Yeah. So we should be happier just that we are alive and be more yes. accepting. <laughs> yes. And of course, that's easier said than done. But I think if we... If you learn about yourself from the perspective of the brain, then you realize realize how it's affected by exercise, for instance. You will realize how it's affected by meeting friends in real life, stuff like that. And then you will prioritize those things better, higher. Yeah. And you also, when you learn about the brain, you realize how incredibly uh, vulnerable it is to distractions from your screen. Well, then you will keep the phone out of the bedroom. When you realize how how uh, fragile your sleep is, well, then you would protect your sleep and so on. So I, I in my books, I've tried to avoid giving too much concrete advice. Do this, do that. I want people to understand themselves better from a biological perspective so that they can make wiser decisions themselves. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And Dr. Andrews, you do many different things. Um, as you said, you, you treat your patients, you write books. You have your own TV show. What is your absolute favorite of all the things that you do? Uh, I, I love all of it. Um, actually, the, the, I love the variety of all of it. I love communicating this stuff uh, through books and TV, and I and I certainly love meeting my patients as well. I don't want to take any of it away. I, I know that I will always work as a doctor. I will never drop that. It feels so rewarding to just go into a room with someone and really make, you know, try your best. How can we help this person? It's very, very concrete. You're meeting someone here and now, and sometimes they are at their lowest point in their lives. And you don't have to think about money or anything like that. You're, it's just how can we help this person? What medication? What therapy? What other ways is yeah, it that we can so use cool. to help this individual? Yeah. That's yeah. very rewarding. And, and I think as a psychiatrist, you also see people without masks. You know, most of us have perhaps a couple of people in our lives where we are completely oh, naked, so to speak. We don't have any mask. We really show us the way 
we are. And as a psychiatrist, you meet hundreds, even thousands of people who come into the room and after 30 seconds, they tell you their most inner secrets. You really wow. see them for what they are. And that's, uh, that's incredibly rewarding. Um, mm -hmm. And it's interesting. If, you, if you're interested in human nature, it's incredibly fascinating. Mm, yeah. And do you tend to see, is it kind of all Swedish people or do people come from all around the world to see you, Dr. Anders? Or? No, I, I just uh, see patients in Sweden, yeah. So Ooh. I work in Stockholm at the hospital here. Um, and yeah. then I do a study uh, where we look at um, exercise for patients with schizophrenia and how wow. uh, their cognitive functions are affected by that. So, But that, I do that in Stockholm, both of these things. Okay. And as a psychiatrist, what tends to be like in most recent times is the most uh, common problem facing people, would you say? Well, that's the most common problems are anxiety and depressions. Mm. Um, and in Sweden, more than 1.1 million individuals are being prescribed antidepressant medication. And that means that one in eight uh, adults, Swedes, are on antidepressant medication. So those certainly are the most common reason but, uh, why uh, that my patients seek help. But I also have patients with bipolar disorder. I also have mm. some patients with schizophrenia, which is a psychotic disorder, uh, and some patients with ADHD as well. Oh, okay, yeah. And you yourself, how do you manage to stay in tip-top um, mind and body shape? You know, you, you look a great advert for what you do. <laughs> well, I, I, I think I, I've always liked to, ex if I have to say one thing, it's exercise. Mm. I've always liked exercising, but I take it more serious now than I, when I've learned this. So I try to do something uh, every day, even if it's just a 45-minute fast walk. Uh, and I'm incredibly cautious about my sleep. I'm cautious about my, my focus. Um, I try to sort of protect my brain uh, through the stuff, with the stuff that I've written about. Uh, but this is difficult. This is very, very difficult stuff. Yeah. Uh, but I, to, to learn more of this has been, made me a bit more forgiving to myself. I've, I've been a nicer person to myself when I've learned about this. And that's something that I wanted to convey to the readers as well. Yeah. Be nice to yourself. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And be, for, be forgiving to yourself because it's hard. These things are very, very hard. We are drawn to our screens because they are so addictive. We are drawn to the couch because we never evolved to exercise. We actually evolved to survive and to avoid using energy, to stay in the couch, to be st still. That, that is something that, that is very, very natural for us. And that's why it's so difficult for to exercise. And that's yeah. uh, an instinct that is very, very, that, that we must fight. Mm. Um, that's interesting. Another thing I read in your book, thought it was very interesting, is that it's only really a recent convention that we have to just live in the same place all the time because before people would move a lot more often. People would move from like one place to the next. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think that's really true. It seems like it's become such a convention that you have to just stay in one place and that's it, your, you know, your whole life. 
now, whereas before people didn't do that so much. Yeah, that and, and, it, and it depends what you're meaning when you say before, because humans have not changed during the last 10,000 years, or if we have changed very, very little, and that means that we are still adapted to a life on the savannah. Exactly. What, yeah. how, what was that life like? Mm -hmm. That, that yeah. it's very hard to say exactly what that life was like uh, because there's nothing written down from that period. But we do know that we lived in smaller groups, perhaps with just 100 individuals, 150. And those were often only the people that you saw your entire life. Exactly. Uh, yeah. We don't know that you were, yeah, we, you were constantly threatened by starvation. Mm. Um, and you and half of all humans died before they be became teenagers. And as I said, they died from infections and bleeding and murder and star starvation. Uh, so that means that we, sh that our ancestors, it made a lot of sense for them to eat everything that they could find. If you find a, fr a, a, a tree full of fruit, eat everything because tomorrow the baboons have taken the fruits. Yeah. So to gulp everything down, that made a lot of sense. But now all of a sudden we live in a world where calories are very cheap, almost free. And then we continue to overeat. And of course, today, two billion individuals have type 2 diabetes or are overweight or, or yeah. suffer from obesity in the world. And that's exactly because of this. Mm. So we are... We have a lot of instincts in us, and those are the instincts that help us survive in a world where there was very little calories. But when we follow the same instinct in a world where calories are free and where it's very safe, well, then we end up with the problems that we're facing today. So I, I'm not saying that we should go back to the savannah. That's not my point, but we could learn from our past and draw important lessons from it um, in order to improve our, our well-being. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. That's really um, interesting to hear. And you do have another book coming out, I've seen next year, which is all about exercise and the mind. Is that right? The yeah, that's right. That, was the, that, that book was very popular in Sweden. It came out um, seven years ago. Uh, um, I was very surprised that that so many read it, uh, and and it made people see exercise differently. Uh, now it's coming out in the UK, so I have updated it with new studies and stuff, and uh, to to make it updated. And it's about how the brain uh, is affected by exercise, how memory, the ability to focus, creativity, and of course also mood, anxiety, and depressions are affected by exercise. So I'm looking forward to seeing um, that uh, that book uh, published uh, in the UK. Great. Well, thank you so much. And I really enjoyed this book, The Attention Fix. It's out now. And uh, yeah, marvelous to speak to you, Dr. Anders. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, hopefully we might chat again another time. It's been really great. All right. My pleasure. Thanks so much. You're gonna